Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite and famous topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I make no apology for concentrating on that topic which was really at the heart and center of everything that Jesus taught. And that topic, the kingdom of God, is therefore the heart and center of the Christian faith. To be a Christian, of course, is to follow Jesus, to follow his teachings, and to believe in his death and his resurrection and his future coming to the earth to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. The term gospel, of course, means good news, God's good news, his message to a lost world, offering us graciously the power to become immortal, the capacity to live forever. Is there any one of us that would refuse the offer of life forever? Well, Jesus has the secrets of immortality. He offers them to us in what he called the gospel about the kingdom of God. You will find in Matthew chapter 13 that he said to his inner circle of disciples, To you it has been granted to know the secret or the secrets about the kingdom of God. But to those outside, this has not been granted. He went on to point out that people's hearts were hardened, their minds were blinded so that they could not receive the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13, verse 19, Jesus spoke of the gospel of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, which must be planted in the heart of the believer as seed, as that essential seed from which immortality can grow. The apostle Peter had learned well from his master. In 1 Peter 1, verses 23 to 25, Peter rehearsed the great facts of salvation. He spoke there of the fact that Christians must be born again, given a brand new start, a rebirth. And how does that rebirth happen? By contact with the gospel of the kingdom, the seed, the immortal seed, Peter called it, the incorruptible, indestructible seed. And how is that seed to be placed in our heart? Well, verse 25 of 1 Peter 1 tells us, it was through the gospel preached to us. And that gospel, of course, can be traced back to the gospel about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13:19, Jesus spoke of it as the word of the kingdom. And in Luke 8:12, a critically important verse, Jesus remarked that the devil knows well that that kingdom message is dangerous from his point of view. The devil then is bent on jamming, obstructing, and obscuring, suppressing, and in every possible way trying to get rid of the kingdom message known there as the word of God, the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom, so that people may not believe it and be saved. Those are the words of Jesus himself in Luke 8:12, and they should be compared carefully with Matthew 13, verse 19. And so there's a way in which we must embark upon the journey that leads to life forever, to endless life in the kingdom of God. Now, if you decide to search this way out and to find it, to come in line with the teachings of Jesus, it's essential to drop certain cherished traditional beliefs. The idea that the soul goes to heaven when you die is false to our New Testament documents. It's false to the entirety of God's revelation. 
Jesus never offered anybody heaven as a reward for their faithfulness. Listen to Jesus' actual words and see the vast difference between what is traditionally known as the Christian reward and how Jesus described it himself. In Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. That's to say, the earth renewed and purified and fit for the new world order which will exist after the second coming of Jesus. Jesus' whole teaching is predicated on that marvelous future, a future guaranteed to the faithful, and it's a future to be enjoyed on this planet when Jesus returns to remain in this planet as the lawful king on the throne of David in the kingdom of God of the future. Heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying, said a leading Bible scholar in Britain recently, and he was right. Heaven, as some kind of super-celestial region far removed from our planet, is not the objective of the Christian life. Our objective is to be with Jesus, and where will he be in the future? Well, he's coming back to the earth. It's not the second visit of Jesus that is described in the Bible, but the second coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus to establish his throne in Jerusalem in a renewed and purified earth. That's the objective put before the faithful of all the ages in the Bible, and it's all based on the promise made to Abraham. You see, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Those are not my words, but Paul's in Galatians 3, verse 8. And so if we want to understand the gospel accurately, we must become acquainted with how it was preached to Abraham. It should be fairly well known that to Abraham was promised a wonderful descendant who turned out to be the Messiah, progeny of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, the famous Messiah. But also to Abraham was promised the land forever. If you look in Acts chapter 7 and verse 5, you'll find that God promised the land, the land in which Stephen was speaking when he gave his last sermon. That land was promised to Abraham forever. But the text in Acts 7 verse 5 says that Abraham never acquired the land. That's to say he must yet rise in resurrection to receive his inheritance of the land forever. The promises made to Abraham are twofold. They consist of a famous progeny, seed or descendant, and the land forever, a king, if you like, and a kingdom. If you're going to have a Messiah, you must have a kingdom in which he reigns. And that kingdom is the great territorial land promise, the oath-bound, covenanted promise made to Abraham. And that covenant, of course, was renewed in the family of David, whose direct descendant Jesus the Messiah was. Blessed are the meek, they're going to have the land as their inheritance. Matthew 5, verse 5. And what's more, they're going to rule in that land as co-regents, as co-administrators with the Messiah on the earth in the future. You read about that in Revelation 5, verse 10. Jesus, we learn there, has died to redeem people of all nations, of every ethnic group, and then the text says there, they are going to rule the world, as the Jerusalem Bible translates it. They are going to reign as kings upon the earth. What could be clearer than that text in Revelation 5, verse 10? The destiny of Christians is to rule as kings 
upon the earth. There's nothing there about disappearing to heaven as a disembodied soul. And that, by the way, is a very Greek and very philosophical idea which tends to confuse the Bible reading of many sincere believers. May I offer you a piece of advice from my own experience now over these 40 years? If you want to relate well to the teaching of Jesus, you must begin to think as a first-century Jew thought, not as a 20th-century American. Jesus was a Jew working out of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, on which he'd been thoroughly trained by his parents. Jesus was absolutely not a product of the philosophical schools of Plato and the Stoics and so on. It was those philosophers who taught that man has an immortal soul, a part of him which must go on existing when he dies. It was the devil, however, who said to mortal man, Thou shalt not surely die. There's the idea of innate immortality. It comes right out of the teaching of the devil himself and was propagated in post-biblical Christianity by the work of the Greek philosophers. Neoplatonism is responsible for a great deal of the confusion which now besets Bible readers. The wise policy is to realize that Jesus believed that the whole man dies and that the whole man will be resurrected. It's only by resurrection from the dead that a man comes into endless life, into immortality. Everything depends on resurrection, and that resurrection is destined to occur for all the faithful of all the ages at the second coming of Jesus. Read it for yourself in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. We learn there that Jesus is the only one who has yet been raised to immortality. But those who belong to Christ, those who are Christians, are going to be raised. 1 Corinthians 15:23 says it clearly. Are going to be raised at the future coming of Jesus. It's at that point that your loved ones will come into conscious experience of life forever. Let me tell you that in the Bible there's no hell burning now, and there's no heaven populated by so-called disembodied spirits. These ideas are popular, but they're the result of philosophical notions becoming confused with the Bible teaching. If one wants to have a clear idea of the teaching of Jesus, and so to relate to his spirit accurately and intimately, then we must think in terms of a first-century Jew. And a first-century Jew, schooled in the Hebrew Bible, believed that when man died, he slept in the sleep of death until the resurrection. Listen to it plainly stated by Daniel in that classic text in Daniel 12, verse 2. Many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground are going to arise, wrote Daniel. Well, there you have it. What are the dead doing? They're sleeping. And where are they doing it? In the dust of the ground. Nobody has yet gone to heaven, and nobody has yet gone to hell, according to your Bible. Rewards and judgments belong to the second coming of Jesus. Everything in the Bible strains towards the great denouement of God's grand design, that is, to confer immortality on the saints of all the ages at the second coming when Jesus returns in power and glory to establish his kingdom on the earth and to take the faithful believers to be rulers with him in that kingdom. Listen to this important point straight from the words of Jesus himself.
In Matthew 16, verse 27, we read this, For the Son of Man, that of course is Jesus' own self-designation, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and he will then reward every man according to his deeds. Did you catch that? It's at the second coming that Jesus rewards every man according to his deeds. Jesus did not say that at the point of death every man will be rewarded with heaven or hell. No, at the second coming Jesus rewards every man according to his deeds. There's no judgment until Christ returns. Nobody has been finally judged yet. Nobody's burning in a subterranean hell. No one's playing a harp in a super celestial heaven. Those issues of destiny await the second coming of Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 27. We have a free book for you on the kingdom of God issue. In it we go through many of the verses we've been referring to in order to demonstrate, we think beyond question, that the gospel in the Bible is called the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' good news, his saving message. We'd invite you to call us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. We'll send you this book for your personal Bible study at home. Remember always in your studies that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood in his first century Jewish environment. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.